Well, I'm very, very excited for today because this is the biggest celebration that the church has. What we celebrate today is that 2,000 years ago, something amazing happened, something that changed the lives, that transformed the lives of the followers of Jesus, who we call the disciples. So when Jesus was crucified and killed, he had probably somewhere around 100 people who were following him. By the time the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he had 120 were uh, praying with each other in the upper room. So we're guessing it's probably around there. And what happened 2,000 years ago undeniably changed the lives of these men and women that followed Jesus. They believed that something happened on a Sunday 2,000 years ago. And that something is that this Lord that they had followed for three years, this teacher that they had followed for three years, they had heard him preach about the kingdom, they had seen him heal people, they thought that he was the coming king to rule over Israel. And on that Friday of Passover, they witnessed him being killed. And they were scattered. And just like Kelsey said in her children's sermon, that Sunday was a surprise. Because what had happened? The body wasn't there. Instead, they began to see Jesus resurrected, alive again, with the hole in his side and the the holes in his hands still there. Somehow his body was alive. He was back in his body. And he was walking around and talking to them, and somehow his body had changed. It was better than before. It transcended normal rules of physics and physical rules that we have right now. Something happened that led these disciples to commit to Jesus as Lord and follow him to their death. And they started a movement, a Jesus movement, that we're still part of today. And here we are 2,000 years later, and look at what has happened in the church and in the life of believers. Something amazing happened that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. But there were people at that time that had different opinions about Jesus. There were some of the Pharisees, religious leaders, who thought he was just a religious coot, an extremist. There were some people who thought maybe he was a political leader and he was rebelling against the the rulers of the day and he was gonna try to overthrow the government. There were some people who thought he was crazy, some people who thought he was a drunk and a sinner. But the disciples believed something different about him. They believed that he was Lord and that he was alive. And now 2,000 years later, there are still a lot of opinions about Jesus. There are people who think that Jesus is just a fairy tale. Uh, Maybe there are some truths to his story, maybe there was actually a, a man named Jesus who walked around modern day Palestine all those years ago, but really that's it. Maybe he was a teacher, maybe he did some things, but really that's all that happened. There are some people in our world that think Jesus was just a good moral teacher like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi or Mother Teresa, just someone to look up to, maybe to follow some of his teachings, but really that's it. There are some people in our world who think that Jesus is simply a tool that evil men use to gain power and influence over the lives and pocketbooks of poor religious people. There's all sorts of opinions about Jesus. And to this day, there's still the opinion that Jesus is Lord, and that he was resurrected on that third day. Now, of course, as Easter comes around every year, we interact with our families and we see new faces, and so it's very possible even in this room 
there's a variety of opinions. There's a variety of ideas about who Jesus is. Maybe some of you think he was a fairy tale. Maybe some of you think he was a good moral teacher. Maybe some of you think he's Lord. And as we look out at all these opinions, it's not that much different from when the church was first getting started. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' followers, he was looking at his churches that he was teaching and preaching at that he started, and he was kind of seeing some of these ideas that maybe Jesus wasn't actually resurrected, maybe he was just a good moral teacher, and he had some things to say about that. That's what we're going to explore today. And so he writes at the end of the first letter to the Corinthians, he says this, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ. So this life only, if Jesus was just a good moral teacher, if he was just a political leader, if it was just for the earthly kinds of things that we follow Jesus, if it is for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus is just a good moral teacher, if he is a kind of political figure, if he is just a fairy tale, then Christians, of all people, should be most pitied. I wonder why he says that. Well, it's actually very simple. Because if Jesus is just a moral teacher, he was a pretty bad moral teacher. If Jesus was just a political figure, he was a bad political figure. Because you look at the life of Jesus, and what he did as he went around, he was a homeless, wandering teacher that served those who could not help themselves, that spent so much time with irreparable people, the prostitutes and the sinners, that people called him a drunk and a friend of prostitutes. He died a thief's death on the cross, and the only people that were with him, the, his only followers, were this small handful of women and uh, older teenage boys who didn't have any sort of respect or say in the society of that day. When he was hanging on the cross, his only followers who were there with him, attending to him, were some women and teenage boys. All of his other followers were gone. If he's just a good moral teacher, he failed because he had no followers. If he was a political figure, he failed because he was killed and crucified. If it is only for these things that we hope in Christ, it makes no sense. And if Jesus is just a tool and if scripture is just a tool for evil people to control and change or control people's lives and money, if that's all that it is, then the scriptures are really bad at that too. Because Jesus gives teachings like, sell all your goods and give to the poor. Because Jesus lived a life of a homeless preacher. If it's just for control, if it's just for uh, good teachings, if it's just for politics, Jesus is really bad at all of those things. And so Paul says, if it's just for these things, then we should be pitied. But he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And Paul witnessed the risen Jesus Christ. The other apostles witnessed the risen Jesus Christ. You see, if Jesus is just a political figure, good moral teacher, a tool to control people, it makes no sense. But... If he did in fact die, if he did predict that he would be risen on the third day, and he was in fact risen on the third day, it changes everything. It changes the way we think about Jesus, the way that we listen to him. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know about anybody else who was raised from the dead. 
I definitely don't know anybody else who predicted that they were raised from the dead, that they would be raised from the dead, and then were raised from the dead. And I don't know about you, but if someone predicts they're gonna raise from the dead, they come back to life, I think I might wanna listen to them about things like my life and my relationships and my money, right? So what I wanna do today is I wanna take a few moments and I want us to explore why. If Jesus is alive, why that changes everything for us. And so if you're in this room and you don't really buy into this Jesus as Lord thing, you don't really buy into Jesus as a resurrected one, then I just ask you to suspend your disbelief for a little bit. Let's just, let's just say, what if? What if Jesus did in fact come back from the grave? What if that is an actual reality that he experienced? I think that's what Paul's doing here in the rest of chapter 15. He continues on, for since death came through a human being. All right, we're gonna stop right there. I know what you're saying. Pastor Eric, we got halfway through one sentence. You're gonna stop again? We are gonna stop again. But death came through a human being. You see, the story of scripture tells us a story of God's interaction and his goodness toward humanity. And we see that the first people that God brought up, the first people that God created, they rebelled against him, that they disobeyed him, and they trusted not in his voice, but in the voice of the enemy or the Satan, as he's called in the scriptures. They listened to the enemy, they listened to this snake, and they disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, they were separated from him, and that unleashed hell on earth. It unleashed sin and death. It actually broke the physical order so that everything was meant to last forever and it no longer was. They introduced decay and sickness and death into the world because they were separated from the source of life, from the living God. And so now there's a truth about every single one of us in this room. Every single one of us in this room will die. Nobody gets to escape death. Death rules over all of us. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much influence you have. It doesn't matter how much power you have. It doesn't matter how good your career is. You're gonna die. Every single one of us is gonna die. You know, we used to say nothing in life is guaranteed except for death and taxes. But now we know that if you're rich enough or poor enough, you don't pay taxes. So really, the only thing in life that's guaranteed is death. That's it. Every single one of us will die. Nobody gets to escape it. Nobody gets to skirt around it. There is no amount of any worldly anything that can save you from death. So the claim that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead means that Jesus now has power over death. He has power over the grave. And that's what Paul continues on here. And he says, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, that's the first man, so all will be made alive in Christ. So if Jesus Christ has defeated death, if he has defeated the grave, that changes things for us. Because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, that means that God can raise you from the dead. He can raise me from the dead. So now this one thing that haunts us all, 
This one thing that is a guarantee for us all no longer is a guarantee. And as the apostles talked about this, they said that Jesus has authority over death. And in fact, he has defeated death. They talk about Jesus as being Lord. That's actually the first creed that the church had. Jesus is Lord. They understood that Jesus stood above all of these things, all of these earthly things, even death itself. That no matter how bad things got, no matter how rotten things were, Jesus was still in control because ultimately Jesus had power over death. And if he's resurrected, that means God can resurrect you as well. And so we continue. It says this, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So you see, 2,000 years ago, when Christ was crucified, died, and was buried, and came to life on the third day, that wasn't the end of something. It was actually just the beginning of something. If Christ has defeated death, now he promises it to all those who belong to him. All those who are in Jesus Christ now can look forward to resurrection, just like him. He's the first fruits. He's the first one to experience this new kind of life, this new creation. And then the rest of those who belong to him come later. And so we look at Jesus' life and we say, okay, if he's the first fruits, what was it like for Jesus to live? We know that he lived for roughly 33 years, fully God, fully man, and he walked just a normal human life for 33 years. Around his 30th year, he was baptized and he was commissioned by God to begin his ministry, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit to do the work that he did. And he walked around in this world, he walked around the streets of Galilee and Palestine and Jerusalem, and there was something really interesting about him. Jesus was a man who was really unruffled. He had peace. People were drawn to him because he was so settled. He was never in a hurry. He knew what he wanted to do, he knew what he intended, and he moved forward. He had this peace about him. He was also full of love, and he cared for those who were hurting. He cared for those who were hungry. He healed those who were sick. We also know that he had a lot of joy. He enjoyed parties. He enjoyed get-togethers. In fact, he drank so much and hung out with prostitutes and sinners so much, he went to so many parties that people said, he's just a drunk. He's just a party animal. He's friends of sinners. He enjoyed and celebrated life. We know that he had gentleness in the face of betrayal and death. He had kindness to everything that he did. He had faithfulness, he had self-control. He had all these attributes in this interior life that although he walked around and his body was failing, he got hungry and angry and lonely and tired from time to time. He had all the same physical issues that we do where he needed to eat food, he needed to go to sleep, he needed to do this and do that, he still had this kind of settled peace. And if you might recognize the words that I use, it sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, right? He walked around with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, and all the other. He walked around with the fruit of the Spirit and he lived this interior life that even though his body was like ours, his spirit was different. He was empowered by something different. We know that he had the Holy Spirit. And then he's crucified for the sake of others, and he's resurrected from the dead, 
And when he's resurrected from the dead, he still has all the love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He still has the fruit of the spirit, but now his body is different. Now his body is glorified. He can somehow appear and disappear. He can still eat, but he's not, he doesn't have the same demands that our physical body does. And his body doesn't have any sickness or tiredness. His body doesn't die. That's what happens to him in the resurrection. It's all the same inside stuff. His spirit is still the same. He still has all the gifts that he had before, but now his body is glorified and changed and eternal. And now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. A human body is at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us. You see, this is the first fruits that were promised. This is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that he's the first fruits, and then he promises this to us, that we can have this interior life like his. We can have all the same love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the rest that he had. And we can look forward to this hope that we have that even after our death, Jesus is gonna resurrect us and bring us back to life. He's gonna renew our bodies and give us eternal life in this new heaven and this new earth that God is going to rule. This is what the apostles taught. This is what the apostles preached, is that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our life, he's Lord of our death, and he's Lord of our resurrection that he is bringing all things under his authority, all things under his rule. And that's why Paul continues this way. Then comes the end after we're resurrected and given new lives. When he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, after he resurrects all things, he's gonna take all the power from the world, from the national, from the local governments, all the worldly power, all worldly authority is gonna be his. He's either gonna take it and the, the worldly leaders are gonna give it willingly or he's gonna force it from them. And then he hands that over to God and God is gonna recreate the world and God is going to rule the world once again on earth as it is in heaven. But God is still, but Jesus is still reigning right now. He's still Lord right now. Because it says here, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So later comes the worldly governments, but for now he's ruling and reigning where? In the kingdom of God. He reigns over his church and he rules and reigns over the life of his people. That Jesus is Lord over our lives right now. And he's Lord over the church right now. And the earliest disciples, the earliest apostles, this is what they proclaimed. Jesus is Lord. And you have some responsibility, some authority right now in your life. It may not be a lot, but you have some. In your family, you have some responsibility and authority, don't you? Even if you're just a daughter or a son, you still have some responsibility to your parents. If you're a brother or sister, you have some responsibility and authority to your brothers and sisters. If you, if you have children and a spouse, you exercise some kind of authority and responsibility in those relationships, do you not? Same thing with your finances, with your work, with your career. All these things, you exercise authority over them. And here's the thing, the life of the believer is to bring all these areas 
under the lordship of Jesus Christ. As he has defeated death and he is Lord of all, we bring and we walk in faith. We bring forward all of our responsibility and we bring it under the lordship of Jesus and he makes it new. He gives us new life now in these areas. So the life of a believer looks a little bit like this. Jesus is Lord. And the Christian life is saying, okay, Jesus, you've defeated death. You've robbed the grave. You are resurrected on the third day. You have all authority. And so now I have this financial issue. And I'm just gonna walk in faith. I'm gonna look at what you said about finances, about money, and I'm just gonna take a little step. I'm gonna see what happens. And you know what happens when we do this? He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us love. He gives us goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He gives us all these interior blessings, all this inner work of God. He gives it to us in things like our finances. We start to take a step. Now, this doesn't mean you're gonna be rich because Jesus himself was a homeless wandering preacher. But I'll tell you what, I bet you'll have peace. Same thing with health. We say, okay, Lord, I wanna take a step in healthiness. I'm gonna trust you in these things. And you know what? You're still gonna get sick. You may still become terminally ill. But in the midst of the up and down of life, what you're gonna find is you're gonna find peace. Peace where there wasn't peace before. Joy where there wasn't joy before. Love where there wasn't love before. Goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control where those things weren't before. We trust him with our family. We say, okay, Lord, I wanna walk in faith. It doesn't make sense. I'm pretty mad at my wife right now and I wanna get one over on her. I wanna have the upper hand in this conversation, but I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna submit to you. I'm gonna treat her well. I'm gonna give her respect and love. And guess what? We find peace. In the hour, we may still have problems in our family, but we have peace. We have joy. We have love. We have all the inner workings that Jesus walked with in his own life. We have that now. And then we get to point these things toward the hope of new creation. This is the Christian life, bringing all of these things under the lordship of Jesus. And we find that he's good on his word. He gives us the fruit of the spirit. He doesn't make us, he doesn't give us our best life now. Because if it's for this life only, then we're pitiable. But he does give us these kinds of eternal attributes of love and joy and peace and patience and the rest. And he gives them to us now. And I shared with you a few weeks ago my wife and I's own experience with our own mental health struggles a couple years ago that God gave us peace when we didn't have it. I mean, I've experienced this. This stuff works. I've received this kind of new life, this kind of new creation that Jesus promises us, that Paul talks about, that Jesus is bringing all things under his feet. And so here's my invitation. The invitation today is uh, over this Easter season. I know that in my life, I could use a little bit more peace and love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I can use a little bit more of that in these areas of my life. Can you? Imagine you could use it too. I could use a little bit more peace in my family, a little bit more love and joy in my family, a little bit more peace in my work, a little bit more love and joy in my work, a little bit more peace in my neighborhood, a little bit more love and joy in my neighborhood. I could use that. 
I don't know about you. What I want to do over this Easter season is explore the ways that Jesus can give us these things in these areas right now. And I want you to walk with me. And I want to learn from you, and you can learn from me, and we can walk this path together. We can say, okay, Lord, you said so. If you defeated death, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll take one little baby step in faith, and then we'll take a step back and say, okay, Lord, that kind of worked. I had a little bit of peace there. Then maybe we'll take another extra little baby step in faith. We'll say, okay, I still have peace. I still have joy. And I want us to walk that together over this Easter season. I want us to experience new life and new creation in these areas because truly Jesus makes all things new.